Hello! Welcome to whatever this is. You uh, are joining us here today with, well, me. You're here with me. My name is Tim. With me is Aubrey. Yep, with uh, Aubrey. Hello, me. Say, say hello, Aubrey. Hello, Aubrey. Very good. Also, there's Jared. Hi, it's Jared. That was terrible. Ter that terrible. Was funny Jared, mine. Jared did not finish watching Daredevil, so the whole script is off. It's everything's ruined. I know. Yes, because we're going, to we're going off a Daredevil script. It, that's what this entire episode was planned around, actually. And now it's ruined. So well, I'll rename it. This know, is not I... the Daredevil yeah. episode you were hoping for. <laughs> I have thoughts. I did my homework. <sighs> you had one episode. Okay, I'm going to say we did have two weeks to complete. <laughs> Even if I watched one every other night, I should have been able to get through them. <laughs> um, and well, with that admission... Oh, I caught up on Game of Thrones. I don't know if anyone did Game of Thrones. I uh -oh. have not even watched an entire season of Game of Thrones. Oh, well... We don't need to talk about that, then. I mean, we can if you want. Uh, I read the books and have no particular fear of spoilers, so... Oh, well, that's not bad. We can try to see if we can find anything that they've done differently. Oh, they have. <laughs> they have. Well, I, well yes, I, I know they have. <laughs> uh, fifth season, in particular, is starting to... That's what I'm saying, because they're what? Are they, have they finished the last book? I can't remember if they've gone finished through the last book. That... No, they haven't. Well... Shall shall we talk about Game of Thrones? Why not? All right. So I'm on the second episode, but I've also read all the books, so I'm not too concerned with that. Okay, good. I didn't read the books, so I'm. <laughs> I'll be the person that's watched the TV show all the way through. <laughs> all right. Um, and by on the second episode, I mean I've watched two episodes, so I'm actually on the third episode. Um, How many? I think I watched. There's only five right now. One or two episodes of the entire show, maybe? That is significant. I know, I feel like I've taken <laughs> a stance like against Watch. I'm not really for any particular reason. Did you think they just do a bad job? or No, no. It's really, it's pure, really good, I think. It's pure contrariness, really. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I probably wouldn't watch it if I hadn't read the books, to be honest, just because it became such a phenomenon, and I'm also contrary. Mm -hmm. He's anti. Well, and the other thing is, is I feel like I've read the books, so why do I actually, I don't, why do I need to, I feel like the TV show is for people who were too lazy to read the books. But here's the thing. Probably true, I'll say that. Here's the thing. Um, Which is not fair at all, because they're different mediums, but... Totally uncontroversial statement coming up. Fourth and the fifth books are not good. That's fair. Really? <laughs> That's fair. Um, I have a general stance where when you start writing books that are over a thousand pages long and then, or maybe, well, yeah, no, yeah, they are. When you start writing like massive, massive books and then extending them beyond reason and like in series length, they inevitably get worse. I felt the same way about Wheel of Time. <laughs> Wheel of Time started going <laughs> off the rails after like the first first book. <laughs> I felt like the first like two or three were pretty good. I stayed with it until like book nine, and then was like, nope, nope, Aubrey out. 
Well, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> it is, but I feel like there's strong parallels between the problems with Wheel of Time and the problems with Game of Thrones. Um, so, so my hope is that the showrunners for Game of Thrones realized that the fourth and fifth books were really boring and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And be a lot more proactive about having interesting things happen in the show. That would be nice if they felt powered to make up for the flaws of. So I guess you haven't got all the way through them, but so did the fourth and fifth books have a lot to do with Khaleesi? Because that's like what this whole season has been like so far is like. So here's what they did, and the, uh, apparently there were so many characters that he couldn't possibly write a single book with all of them in it. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Why? Um, And so he wrote a really, really long book that didn't have any of the characters that people actually like. And then he wrote a really long book that had the characters that people actually like not doing anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So so Daenerys was not in the fourth book, if I remember. Is the fifth season supposed to be the fourth book or the fifth book? It's both. Okay. They're doing it consecutively. um, Mm -hmm. Or concurrently, rather. Okay, yeah, so they sort of technically were supposed to take place at the same time. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, So they've been doing Daenerys' storyline from the fifth book as the highlight of the fifth season. Um, and Tyrion was also only in the fifth book, and they've been doing a lot with him as well. Oh, so that's pretty much all we're seeing. Yeah. Okay, so we're just doing the fifth book. The interesting part. The interesting part. Um, the the fourth book is, the central character really in the fourth book is Cersei. She becomes a... Oh, God, uh, blow my brains out. ...chaptered character in the fourth book, and yeah, it was odd. Yeah, I love her and her daughter-in-law's, like, spats. They show a little bit of it through the episodes, but... (laughs) They just make her so insanely unlikable that it's hard to then go back and, like, care about anything she actually thinks. She's worse than Joffrey, I feel. Mm. I mean, Joffrey had zero redeeming qualities... He was just screwed up, though, is all. Cersei is, has redeeming qualities in that she is really concerned about her children, and that's about it. Uh, so redeeming quality, I guess, would be mm-hmm. more appropriate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> quality. Listing <laughs> your there. She has multiple kids. We can try to oh, yeah. pluralize um, it. So it, the, the central themes of the fourth and the fifth book I'm not going to get into really specific spoilers here, but the central themes really, for me, were how difficult it is to remain in power once you've seized it, and the futility of trying to make everything happen the way you want it to. And see that so far. So basically what happens is every, literally every single person who's in a position of power fails and accomplishes nothing. Okay. <laughs> Which doesn't make for extremely exciting. <laughs> no. 
Come on. I mean, if you're if you're really excited by political imagination and by uh, an analysis of power dynamics, then great. So if you're a political science major, I'm sure it was fascinating. Um, or if you're really into comparing the series to the War of the Roses, then that might also be really fascinating for you. Uh, I'm, I'm Jared. I'm not kidding. Like Cersei, Jon Snow, Daenerys. Um, everyone who has everyone who is in a significant position of power fails to accomplish the things they are trying to do (laughs) okay I can't (laughs) wait for the rest of this season (laughs) so I'm really curious about what they're planning to do with the the show because I don't think they'll go that route it wouldn't make for a very interesting television show so uh... not so much spoilers but Tyrion and What's his guy name? The guy that like kidnaps him. I, I'm that's that's like the most interesting storyline for me right now. Uh, Jorah kidnaps him in the show, correct? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't happen. Yeah, and so well, they just went through that old city that like tore itself apart with the stone people and stuff. Gotcha. It doesn't happen quite the same way in the books. Um, Is it worth reading the books? Or listening to them, because I've been listening to more audiobooks than I have been reading books right now. I would absolutely read the first three books. Yeah, the first, those are those are great. Okay. Super, super sexually explicit. Uh, FYI. <laughs> yeah, yes, the HBO <laughs> has not been that. Well, <laughs> I, can be. it's a little different reading it. I don't know. Just... Just an observation. Also, I read the first book when I was pretty young, so it may stand yeah. out to me in a way that it wouldn't now. I, I read them when I was 12 or 13, and my parents mm-hmm. absolutely didn't know what the Same. content of these <laughs> books were. Same. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not tell them. No. They were just like, go Timmy, he's reading books. <laughs> They bought them for me. (laughs) Tim, what would you like to talk about from your extensive list of things? (laughs) Um, Let's talk about Avengers, because that was a movie that I watched this weekend. I did too. Well, I did not. Um, Better or worse than the first one? I would say worse. Oh, I liked I liked the theme better. So this is where I'm conflicted on. I I don't feel like the first Avengers was a great movie, but it was so much more fun than Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they got the banter down better. Probably, probably in my yeah. I'm guessing because there were a smaller number of characters. They um didn't feel like they wasted too much time on pointless nonsense that didn't lead anywhere. Unlike this one. <laughs> um, and there were, there were definitely parts of Age of Ultron that I enjoyed, and I didn't regret seeing it necessarily, but at the end of the movie, I was just regret. thinking, that was not super great. I know there was just a lot of fight scenes that didn't really seem to go anywhere. They failed to make Ultron a really compelling villain, and that oh well, I was for me. Okay, so I've been watching Blacklist, who is also voiced by James right. Spader, who's the first one. And for me, like watching Blacklist encapsulated almost like 
him as a villain. And so I really liked it. And so like, just like anytime he was there, it's just the, the way he'd speak things was like what I liked. And so that's why I, it was more compelling for me. I feel so. I don't know. I was, I was, I was totally down with James Spader's performance. I thought they made Ultron a little bit too tongue in cheek. Um, True for being a robot. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but my my biggest problem was that he never felt like he was winning. Like he was the, supposed to be this near omnipotent power that they were going to struggle against. And the only time he puts them on their back foot is when he sends Scarlet Witch after them. So really, it's Scarlet Witch screwing them up instead of Ultron. And it really, I felt, cut the legs out from underneath him. It didn't feel like he was really this huge, strong presence that they needed to come together to overcome. It was just a bunch of robots that they were punching in the face. Yeah, I'd say the first half of it was really good. I felt like the lead up and build up. But yeah, the like execution and follow through in the end was, yeah, we got to a point where we're just beating tons of robots trying to stop them from getting someplace. And I feel like Having, having, granted, having not seen it, I feel like that was this a similar criticism to the first one. Absolutely, yes. The lead up is really fun. Seeing how they all gel, how their personal conflicts come together, is all really interesting. And then at the end, you never really believe that the bad guys are going to win, and it's just sort of this massively anticlimactic fight scene. Yeah. Uh, the problem with the first one is similar in that Loki was just a non-villain. Like, he didn't accomplish anything whatsoever. No. no, not really. It was fun to see Loki, because I enjoy Loki's yes. interactions with other characters, but he wasn't particularly menacing at all. And, it, yeah, and the same thing kind of happens with Ultron. The, yeah. When we get to, like, the halfway point of the movie, where he's about to, like, accomplish like the first stage of his big evil plan, it, the, he fails and we get vision instead and while i like vision as a character it felt like that was the first big thing ultron had tried to accomplish and he didn't succeed <laughs> yeah i i didn't i was not such a fan of vision really i i don't have much more to say but just i didn't really much care for him as a person like it there was no like build-up of his character mm -hmm. i sort of felt it was just like all of a sudden he was there like okay so. Yeah, I, I didn't really like to build up for him, but I do like him as a character. From the movie or because you've read some comic books with him? Uh, from the movie. I, I, I don't know, didn't know a huge amount about him before going into the movie. Okay. And the stuff with Black Widow was so weird. So, so weird. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they all, she should have just compelled them to all shoot themselves in the head or something. And we could have just avoided the whole movie altogether. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I don't think you'll mind me telling you this, Aubrey. No. So, pretty much from the very beginning of the movie, all of a sudden, they're trying to just tell us that Black Widow and Bruce Banner are in love. Mm -hmm. And it comes, yes. it comes out of nowhere. Okay. And they have zero chemistry, and it felt very odd with like this franchise that's developing itself through this continuity that... They hadn't established any of this romance before this movie and then suddenly expected us to believe it. Um, and it just felt weird and awkward. And they have these weird scenes together that just made me feel... Uh... 
Mm. Yeah, it was all of a sudden she was the only person that could calm him down. Mm -hmm. And so that was really weird, too. And yeah, through that, they were we were then supposed to think that they clearly should be together. I mean, I feel like you throw those sorts of plots into superhero movies when you don't really have an emotional core. <laughs> and so you're trying to develop some sort of... Right. Was there actually any romance other than that in the movie? I can't no. think of anything. My... Well, Clinton his wife. They... Yeah, and that that even felt, that felt weirder almost. Like that. Well, that didn't surprise me because I know a little bit about Hawkeye, but um, okay, it was well, kind of odd that they're just and he has a family. They were there for family. like five ten minutes, and that's it. That was like, oh, we're hiding here. Oh, hi guys. Okay. I have a wife. Thank you. Let's go. <laughs> so yeah, the the weirdest part of Black Widow's arc in that um, movie, though, is when she reveals to Bruce Banner that w during her training as a, a Russian assassin, they sterilized her. Oh, yeah. What? Um, mm -hmm. So that she could never reproduce and have something that she cares about more than the mission. Mm -hmm. And then essentially equates that to her being as much of a monster as the Hulk is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's um, shitty. Yes. <laughs> um, Congratulations, all women who can't have children. You are all monsters. <laughs> <a> monster. <laughs> well done. And, yeah, I think it's problematic. Um, someone pointed out, that someone I read pointed out that uh, it wouldn't be nearly as problematic if Black Widow weren't the only female character on the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, if it were just something that a female character in the cast thought, mm -hmm. that's okay. Like, that can be who she is. But if she's, like, defining female superheroes... <laughs> Then it's more problematic. She's pretty. She, it's not that great. She doesn't even have any superpowers either. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think the humor in the movie was sort of fun too. I think the hammer was probably someone. That's pretty much what they carried out through most of the movie. Yeah. But it's a joke that no one could. They they try like they have like this party or whatever, and they're all trying to pick up the hammer like. <laughs> Of Thor's hammer, like it's like, oh yeah, we're totally gonna be able to do this, and so because we're uh, all worthy. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the spoiler at the end at all, or I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, really. It was all of ten seconds. <laughs> that I was like, this is the most pathetic. Like, at least the last one was um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. At least we had like a little build up, them walking, talking about them. But the ending was literally like 10 seconds of, in like three words, maybe. So, I don't know if that's a spoiler if we want to talk about it, but. Oh, are you talking about the, the post, uh, the, the mid credit scene? Yeah, 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 that. Gotcha. Yeah. It, it felt a little bit redundant since. So, in the mid credit scene, Aubrey, there's just this three second shot of Thanos picking up the Infinity Gauntlet and saying that he's going to do it himself, which felt redundant because we already knew Thanos was going to be showing up. Right. Um, and we already knew that he cared about the Infinity Gems. So. Yeah, it had been set up <laughs> multiple times. In <laughs> Infinity Stones, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, so we've seen two of them now. We've seen four of them. Four of them. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. I must be. So the, there was this one. There was one from Loki staff. Yes. And then the one from um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. And then there's one in the Cosmic Cube from... Um... The Tesseract thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's not out of the Tesseract, is it? No. So we haven't... See, okay, that's why. We haven't specifically seen the stone itself, but we have seen... Okay. And there's also one in the weird red liquid mist from the second Thor movie. Um... Okay, so if you know the comics, you'll know a little bit more how many we've seen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, oh, no, I think it was a pretty good movie. Well, I will probably go and see it just because I have seen... I mean, I I don't... I have not a ton of investment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I have seen... I think all of the... I didn't see Iron Man 3, and I didn't see Winter Soldier. But I've seen everything else. Winter Soldier, I thought, was pretty good. Yeah, I would would actually recommend Winter Soldier. It's not... I'd say it's one of the better ones. I kind of hated the first Captain America. Winter Soldier's totally different. Oh, it's way better than the first one, And I have been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so it ties into that, I'm aware. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to sell it too much. It's not, like, the best superhero movie ever. And I feel like a lot of people gave it a lot of praise for being, like, a spy thriller and also a superhero movie, but it didn't really feel like it succeeded very much as a spy thriller, on my in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I still thought it was pretty solid film. What do you think is the best one they've done so far? Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy was... Yeah, I probably have to agree. So. It was fabulous. Um, my mom hated it. <laughs> which I was surprised by. Apparently there was a lot of swearing in it. Was there a lot of swearing in Guardians of the Galaxy? I don't remember any swearing. Not enough to hit, like, to make me cognizant of it. Yeah, it upset I... her in a way that caused her to hate the entire thing. Really? Like I love the soundtrack, but I hate everything else about it because there was so much swearing. Who would it have been? Would it have been the the raccoon? Would have been? It probably would have been the raccoon, but I don't. Or, um, the bounty hunters, maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember <laughs> anything. I'll have to go relook that <laughs> I was up for a second. Quite frankly, shocked. By. Uh, my mom really liked it, which I, I was surprised by. <laughs> so would you think there wasn't one worth seeing out of Marvel so far? Oh, there are plenty that aren't worth seizing, seeing at all. Um, that you think Captain they America. were that the, bad that you wanted to see? The first Captain America was awful. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't find any to be really truly horrible except for Iron Man 2. Okay, I was just looking and I saw Iron Man and I was like, I'm going to have to rethink this actually. <laughs> um, so I saw the first Iron Man in theaters, uh, and I actually really, really, really liked it. <laughs> the, my girlfriend at the time thought it was terrible and was like, what the fuck did we just watch? And I was like, it was so dumb, and it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a lot of fondness for the first Iron Man. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the time I spent watching the first uh, the first Iron Man, certainly. Um, I and- also- oh, sorry. Oh, as dumb as the the first Thor was, I also enjoyed it. I I could 
I, I could do without either of the Thor movies. I thought they were a little bland. I really enjoyed both of them, but I, I think because same. I spent a lot of time in high school studying Norse mythology, <laughs> and so I have ulterior motives for enjoying sort of the 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 connections, you know, between. I don't know. It's mm. just yeah. <laughs> I have ulterior motives. It's not because they're great movies that stand on their own as great movies. It's because of other things that I associate with them. Okay, so here, here we go. Jumping back to Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm on IMDb. So, profanity. Crap, damn, hell, ass, a-hole, bitch, shit, bastard, prick, dick are said multiple times throughout the film. So, God's name is misused three or four times. And so. You're going to get us banned from television, Jared. <laughs> Uh, Tim, you could just bleep that out. It was really just a bunch of bad words. It's all right. I think I swore just myself earlier, so don't worry about it. I feel mine was like a educational wise one. Like... It was. It was. So there you go. There were some bad words used during the movie. Is that a thing IMDb does? Does it list bad words? Yeah, you can go and get a parental guide. So there's. So, oh, and then you can see like they'll break it down like sex and nudity, violence and gore, profanity, alcohol and drug smoking, and frightening and intense scenes. Uh, this is actually like people that actually do these, so it's not like done by IMDb. It's people that are like, oh my gosh, I need to tell people so they don't go see this. Their right. kids see it or something. But, I need yeah. to warn people about the but, the but there's a lot of mainstream movies that get, have people do this too. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And the the day after I saw Age of Ultron, I watched X Men: Days of Future Past for the first time. I watched that a long time ago. So you must have. Yeah, I, I missed it. It wasn't in theaters, so. I, theaters. Um, I haven't seen any of the X Men movies. You know, that's probably fine to be perfectly honest. But I thought Days of Future Past was so much better than Age of Ultron. <laughs> I felt like it really nailed the ensemble cast in a way that I actually cared about what was happening to these people. It's mm-hmm. much more cheesy in a Saturday morning cartoon kind of way in the costume design and the plot and etc. But mm-hmm. I cared so much more about what was happening to the characters and I just felt like it coalesced as a interesting movie so much better. It's been a while since I've seen it, so I can't really, I can't say which one I thought better. But, I don't know, it was, it was a good movie. Actually, I, I I don't feel like, if you died and hadn't seen X-Men's, uh, you'd, you'd be fine. But if you have, okay. I'm not saying, you're wasting your life away. <laughs> not Maybe not, I'd have to go through and, like, check all of them. But, yeah. I, yeah, I, full confession, um superheroes have never been my particular brand of nerding it's really my youngest sister's thing she and she's way into dc Mm. uh so i've never it's not i have enjoyed the the recent spate of films that came out but i'm not deeply invested in superheroes as a cultural activity this is a little tidbit people went a little crazy in the news that James McAvoy uh, shaved his head for the, the next X Men. McAvoy, is that his name? McAvoy, mm-hmm. McAvoy. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Is it just because he's making the transformation into the version of Professor X that everyone is familiar with? Is that why people yes. are freaking out? Mm-hmm. And so, 
like I don't know. I think they're just excited about it. But yeah, he did actually. They aren't like covering up his hair. They're he actually shaved his head for. Oh, okay. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, I was just just a bit. I'll throw it. <laughs> cool. It was in the news this week. Um, don't have to get into it too much, but the movie Days of Future Past totally different than the comic. <laughs> Mm-hmm. very very different um basically the only similarity is that there are sentinels that's it <laughs> i gotta the, go back and possibly watch that i don't remember anything about it it's fine so in the in the comic there's like uh it, it's it's thrown in the middle of just regular x-men stuff so all of a sudden you pick up an issue and you're in the future and all of your ex favorite x-men characters are like 20 years older and in a weird dystopian universe where everything's horrible. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, a one character send Kitty Pride back in time to what would what the readers at that time would consider present day. Mm-hmm. And they send Kitty Pride back in time because she was only like twelve or thirteen, so they, she hasn't been taught by Professor Xavier to defend against psychic intrusions. So mm-hmm. what really what they're doing, they're not sending uh, Kitty Pride physically back in time. They're simply sending her consciousness back in time. Um, so all of a sudden, like 50-year-old Kitty Pride is speaking out of 13-year-old Kitty Pride's body. And people are like, what is happening? Hmm. Okay. Um, and it's only like a two-issue arc. They essentially just stop the... Brotherhood of Evil Mutants from assassinating Senator Kelly because his assassination puts into motion the Mutant Registration Act and the uh, government's uh, backing of the Sentinel program that essentially puts all mutants into a ghetto and then kind of moves from there and makes the entire world kind of miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so technically they succeed, but Marvel continuity is weird, and so all it really does is splinter universes. So their future is still really shitty, and the X-Men have simply saved their future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. At least someone's future was saved. <laughs> Whereas in the movie, uh, they don't really spend any time in the exploring the dystopian society. It's basically like there's a group of X-Men that are renegades and they're being chased by evil robots and uh, kitty pride suddenly develops the ability to send people send people's consciousness back in time even though that's not a power that she ever had in the comics or the movies doesn't really matter not a big deal and they decide to send wolverine back in time probably because wolverine sells movies probably (laughs) that's a reasonable (laughs) okay so i got a question off of that what do you think they're going to do if they continue X-Men because he he's not going to play Wolverine anymore? I can't think of yeah, name. I mean, it's uh, Hugh Jackman still Jackman. has a couple of movies. I, I think he's probably going to be in Age of Apocalypse. He's going to be in a um, standalone Wolverine movie. And so that's a few years off. And so you think he's lying by saying he's not going to be a man anymore? No, no, I don't think he's lying. I, I think his point was that the standalone Wolverine movie was going to be his last. He, I, I'm pretty sure he's still going to be in Age of Apocalypse, which comes out. Oh, I thought it was only going to be in Apocalypse. Was his last one? No. Okay, I must have misread that then. But I, uh, they'll recast Wolverine. There's mm-hmm. no way they won't, because. <laughs> 
people like Wolverine. But yeah, so Wolverine goes back in time to the 60s where he wasn't even part of the X-Men at all in the mm-hmm. movie continuity and tries to get Professor Xavier and Magneto to be friends and stop dorky um, Bolivar Trask. I'm forgetting what. Peter Dinklage. Yeah, dorky Peter Dinklage from Destroying <laughs> Everything. So yeah, very, very different stories. Mm-hmm. So, Aubrey, is there anything on your list that you wanted to... Did you remember what your GDC thing was about? Um, hmm. I watched a lot of... Uh, so, GDC has put... For anybody who doesn't know, uh, it's the Game Developers Conference, the yearly Game Developers Conference. And um, they have their vault of past presentations and so they put a pretty solid number of this past year's presentations up on the web so i was just working my way through uh through those and um there was one this was sort of calling back to the very first one of these that we did when we talked about 80 days um the developer of 80 days gave a talk about how they did how they did it and sort of his design philosophy and sort of talked about how they went about creating the sensation of, of choice and that dynamic branching narrative without driving themselves insane. (laughs) (laughs) And it has a lot to do with this really interesting, this is going to get really technical um, (laughs) with this really interesting structure that they developed where it was essentially you could read through any given scene and there was this series of what was it i watched this like three weeks maybe even four weeks ago now so it's a little distant but they essentially make it so that the game is keeping track of a few key choices that you've made, um, but then really any of the choices that you make can slot in to the narrative further. So it feels like you've made a choice and it references the choice that you've made and it will change the emotional experience that you have, but mm-hmm. the actual narrative structure isn't really different at all. Right. It was, it was really interesting. You might enjoy going back and looking at it, Tim, having enjoyed the 80 days experience if you're interested mm-hmm. in how they created that um the, uh, the thing that i thought was really good that he talked about was how having a map at really added to that sensation of of narrative um, because while they were developing it they initially didn't have the visual of the map and it wasn't coming together as an emotional experience as much um, but that giving players a map gives them both the path that they have chosen and also lets them know, oh man, there are all of these other places that I didn't go, all of these other things that I could have done, and all of these other choices that I could have made. And so it really reinforces to them the nature of the narrative that could have been. Mm-hmm. And so it, divine, it defines the place, you know, the possibility space for them in a way that sells the fact that they have made a unique narrative for themselves which i liked so where can you find these um oh what's it called the oh, there's vault. Vault. vault yeah okay i was just on the normal web page and then i saw vault to the top just now so i have to take a look yeah at gdc vault 
Um, the other one that I really liked was it was so apparently the White House has a an office of technology policy and um the guy who was giving this talk was the the white house sort of or, yeah i guess he was sort of the lead as far as the white house interfacing with games as uh, a policy mechanism or as something that they would be interested in and his talk was really interesting in that he he talked a lot about sort of the whole space around educational games and how they get kind of a bad rap and sort of took a very different ev- developmental path from games that are considered largely entertainment games. But the two are sort of coming back together a little bit. And the, the thing that I thought was the most fun was he talked about uh, Game Jam that happened. The first White House Game Jam <laughs> happened this past year. <laughs> where the White House hosted uh, developers from both small indie studios and people who are based in game departments at universities house for, I think it was 48 hours to rapidly develop educational games that they themselves would also want to play. And so that talk, he provided a link to the YouTube uh, channel that they created where you essentially have videos about each of the games that they they developed. These are really cool games. They're games, uh, like one of them was this game where you're essentially, you know, you're piloting your way through a tunnel and trying to avoid obstacles. Pretty common trope. It's been around for decades. Uh, But the, the twist here is that you have to actually manipulate functions to change the shape of your laser beam in order to shoot bad guys through obstacles. This is a portal here. (laughs) And so it does it. Well, no, no, no. You actually use mathematical functions. So there's this really intuitive user interface at the bottom of the screen where you're determining if you're using a parabolic function or a sine wave function or, you know, and so you're both learning about the sort of archetypal shapes of these functions and then also changing the different variables and seeing how that impacts the shape of the line. And so you're functionally learning a lot about how, you know, those those mathematical functions work while also not getting bogged down in, oh, no, I have to do math. It was really cool. I highly recommend watching those videos because they had kids come in and comment and play the games after they developed them. And the kids had really interesting things to say. It was it was just really cool. It was exciting. As someone who is interested in games as a as a method for for learning, it was it was gratifying to see. Sounds cool. I'll have to watch a few of these. I hate education. <laughs> yeah, there's Tim's point of view. <laughs> there were some really cool social games as well that they had developed for use in like civics and world history classes where you essentially were learning. You had to go and each person was assigned a different role within this historical context you know it was just it was they're all they're really clever ways of utilizing what technology is strong at to make the classroom more interactive i'm interested just like reading down the side of this i'm interested to read some of these things he's apparently he talks about zombies he talks about minecraft Mm -hmm. oh yeah there are a lot of classrooms who use minecraft for a lot of things that's really big right now so this is extremely nerdy i was watching 
the Department of Education has a YouTube channel. And I was watching a live stream on their YouTube channel. And one of the things that they were talking extensively about was uh, utilizing Minecraft in classrooms to sort of bring teachers and students to a level where they're teaching each other things. Because some of the older teachers were not having a really great time with the idea of... (laughs) having Minecraft in their classrooms because <laughs> they had no idea what was going on. And so it provided an opportunity for the students to become teachers to both each other and to the teacher themselves. Uh, so it created co-learning opportunities. And then, of course, you know, fostering creativity and experimental design and cooperation and problem solving. And it was, it was, it's, it's very cool. That's becoming a thing. Something for me, I play a lot. I, haven't in a while, but I've been playing a lot of Minecraft. And so I, I want to see the further we get away from when it starts, if it's going to be something that eventually like comes back around with generations or something, or like depending on how long they support it and whatever, because they're still doing updates. But I'm interested to see like if people are going to like grow out of it or what's going to happen with it, the like audience if they come back and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you're building it into like schools, it could be one of those things that just sticks there for a long time and because yeah. you carry it through from each class room to the next and stuff. So, so I think that's exciting. Well, since uh, Mojang was bought by Microsoft, we can expect in a couple of years, Minecraft 2, Minecraft harder, more extreme. <laughs> <laughs> and my, Minecraft with... Uh microtransactions yeah no i I, i'm gonna stick to it i'm gonna stick to it that they are not gonna screw it up i think they could possibly do a minecraft 2 but i think it'll be just a rewrite of the language just to make it better and i'm thinking they haven't they've they've really left it untouched besides when after they bought it pretty much so Mm -hmm. so i i don't think they're gonna mess it up i think they could mess up more like the xbox version and stuff Mm-hmm. Just because that's their platform and they may have more say in it, but it still seems like with Dinnerbone and stuff that he's still the main person working on it and Jeb and stuff. And so it's like they haven't thrown away the good work they've done and them is so. And they haven't even changed the progress. It's not like there's a new update now coming out like every week. So we'll see what happens with it. I don't think they'll do anything to Minecraft, but I do. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they released a Minecraft 2 and that it would be filled with microtransactions. But if you could still then do Minecraft 1, why would you get involved in Minecraft 2? So something I've heard from this, though, is they'll stop adding to Minecraft 1 then. And so if you want the newer stuff, you're going to have to go with the Minecraft 2 so you can get the new updates and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's one talk I've heard from people that could be a bad thing if they do create a Minecraft 2. More polygons. Yeah. (laughs) That seems completely unnecessary. I mean, as I understand it, a large portion of the appeal of Minecraft is the fact that it's not focused on visuals and you have to try and be creative to communicate anything in a complicated visual fashion. I think something they may do, I don't think they'll do microtransactions, but I could see that something that blew up huge into why it was sold 
was like servers and stuff mm-hmm. and how servers were monetizing things and they were like really expensive for really nothing but like coolness. And so I feel I feel Microsoft on the back end is working for like an API on it because there's still no API for it. And so I think they may come up with a generic site possibly that if if you want extra stuff that people could sell and they'll take a percentage of it, I could see that possibly happening. Like a modding, if they, mm-hmm. they'll build it so people can sell mods or like, just like sort of like an app store though. I, I don't think you'll see microtransactions where you'll, I don't know, like you do in like Android games right now, I don't think. Oh, well, you've broken 30 blocks today. I'm sorry. If you want to pay, you can break another 30 blocks. I don't think it's going to be like that. I hate that kind of thing so yeah. much. That's that's what keeps me away from doing Android things like Android games on my phone, really. Like, mm-hmm. I just I, I just hate that. Like, I can get into it, and then like an hour or two later when I can't do anything on it, that's when I stop playing the game and I'll just uninstall it almost, so. Yeah, no, I, I I don't even download games to say they have microtransactions in them, or in-game purchases is, I guess, how they refer to it. And I know that sometimes it's only like, oh, if you want to add this skin to it, you can buy it, you know, and I, and I realize that, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm so turned off by the entire idea of being held captive by the, yeah, I'm just not. Yeah, I, I think, can't. I think the <laughs> I console can't. version of minecraft is so restrictive i just like the computer one because like people can make their own skins they can do whatever they want i i guess i haven't had a uh, xbox one so maybe they can but mostly it seems like they they're selling skins in the market and those are the ones you get and so i feel you, you're losing you out a, too you have essentially defined the entire reason that i prefer pc gaming to console gaming mm-hmm. in general <laughs> which is that customizability yeah you can do so much with minecraft like if you like the 16-bit blocks you can have that you can have if your computer can run it you can do 250 you can have different texture packs and you can have mods you can have it's just the sky's the limits i feel is why it's made been so popular Mm -hmm. so we mentioned monument valley in the past i've played it now i enjoyed it thoroughly yeah i'm gonna have to download it now it only took me what felt like about an hour to play. Oh yeah, I finished it all in one sitting. And by sitting, I mean I was laying in my bed in the dark, falling asleep, <laughs> and instead playing Monument Valley on my phone. You know, <laughs> it felt really, really short. I know there was a bit of a kerfuffle when people, uh, when when they released the the DLC and were and charged for it. Yeah. And I think it is a little bit silly to get really upset at a developer for charging money for their game. Right. But I can I kind of understand the anger now because it felt really short. It okay. did. And so I... how much did you pay for it, though? I, the guy got it in the last bundle, so... Okay, well, even looking at it, like, even the original one's 99 cents. So if you said you played it for an hour, that's... Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not talking about how much I got out of my money. Yeah. I got... I'm talking about, like you know just playing the game as an experience it didn't feel like it lasted oh okay and i think that part of that is actually a complimentary to the designers it sort of shot them in the foot in that it really implies that it felt effortless it felt like an experience that was not something that was fraught with like i can't figure out how to do this Mm -hmm. you know it just it was a seamless experience that was really well polished 
that was playable and accessible and enjoyable and felt like it flew by. Yeah. It also didn't ever feel particularly difficult. It wasn't. Even, even though it's ostensibly a puzzle game. Yes. It looks very beautiful, just from the pictures. It is It is beautiful, absolutely. Yes. But, you know, playing the game was more, you felt like, oh, uh, I guess I can't get to where I need to go from here, so let's tap over here. Oh, I can get to where I need to go from over here. Okay. <laughs> it was a much more simple version of similar mechanics that you found in Fez. I don't know if you guys mm. played Fez. Yeah. Briefly. The whole, like, turning of the world to see different steps and different angles on things that you couldn't see initially. But Fez was really got really convoluted about it eventually. Uh, yeah, no, Monument Valley is, I don't think, supposed to be difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think that the ideal way to play it is not the way that I played it or possibly the way that you played it, <laughs> which is every level all at once, but uh -huh. more so that, like, I have five minutes sitting on the bus. I'm going to pleasantly wander my way through a, a level of Monument Valley. Yeah. Yeah. It is odd, though, how we have these ingrained expectations of what a game should give us. Because, mm -hmm. you know, there's just starting the game, there's no reason to expect, oh, this game is going to last approximately this number of hours. And yet, when it ends only an hour later, you're like, oh, that felt too short. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I honestly feel like that if Monument Valley were to reach my expectations for a, a game of its kind, uh, it would have to be about four times as long mm -hmm. for me to feel like it was a game length. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like a, a, a real uh, full-length game. Mm -hmm. Which is odd. Like, there's no reason necessarily to think that. Yeah. And I suspect, to be honest with you, if it had been four hours long that it would have become boring. At least if it stayed on its trajectory. <laughs> yeah, probably. Huh. Do you think that's an expectation that everyone who's coming to it has? Or do you think that's informed by your history as a gamer? The kind of games that you play? Probably the latter. I can't imagine someone coming into it who hasn't played, say, any games whatsoever would necessarily feel like that was a... Well, that's, that's not what I... I mean, I didn't mean just the fact that you play games at all, but uh -huh. the kind of games, you know, you, mm. your specific history as a person who plays games. I don't know, I guess there aren't a whole lot of games, like PC games, that are that short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it were a PC game, people would have been furious. <laughs> yes. So I don't know. Perhaps if you were someone who had only played mobile games up to that point, mm -hmm. then it might not seem that strange. Right. But I suspect that it was short because designing it was time-consuming. Yes, and probably. Expensive. Well, and that's I, that was sort of what I was getting at, too, in the, the polish component of it. Because right. it was highly polished. Um, the mechanics felt really nice. It wasn't clunky to use at all. Uh, it was really gorgeous. And putting that level of polish into even a short game is expensive and time-consuming. And if you're a small, you know, studio or one or two people doing something, that's a major consideration. Right. That's why indie games aren't typically polished in that way. Another curious thing, it really does set itself up to 
seem like a puzzle game, but it doesn't really act like a puzzle game from there on out, other, because it continues to have the exact same puzzle, whereas most puzzle games kind of expand what they are, the experiences they're giving you, the kind of, the different puzzles that you are solving within the same framework. Uh, they add a little bit of heat, challenge, different challenge over here, and they might throw, on this level, they'll throw you a different challenge, and they might bring them, them together. together. Uh -huh. And this was like, well, you spin the things around, or you move that thing back and forth. Yeah, it felt a little bit more like a walking simulator combined with a painting. Like, you know, it was it was a way of exploring an artistic space. Yeah, um, and if I had been thinking about it in that way, I may have had a different perception of my experience with it. Mm -hmm. Well... Speaking of walking simulators... Yes! His <laughs> <laughs> transition. Uh, I really had no idea what to expect about Eidolon going into it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it felt a little bit like a game that expected you to have some idea of why you were playing it. Interesting. Just, just a tiny bit. Okay. Because I started playing it and I'm like, um, so there's some woods? Okay. I'm going to pick up some mushrooms. I'm just going to keep walking, I guess. And the survival isn't really very difficult. I have nope. some twigs. I've never had to use them to keep myself warm. I'm just going to kind of keep walking. I uh, picked up a fishing pole. But I don't know why I'd need to fish because I've got plenty of mushrooms. So whatever. Um, and uh, I was just kind of like, well, is this a survival game? Am I supposed to try and survive? Well, it's not that challenging. So I guess I'm supposed to explore. Okay. Like, by the time I got around to, like, oh, I'm just kind of, like, supposed to find these different, I don't know, like, newspaper clippings and things like that and kind of assemble the story, then it started becoming more of an experience that I was interested in. But at first, uh, just kind of dropping me into it, if, as well, uh, all right, I guess this is what we're doing, just kind of walk around a bit. Uh, I, yeah, once I started discovering that there was stuff that I could read. I found that a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, walking from place to place. There are some really cool set pieces that it has. Yes. There are also a couple... Well, there are also some not that cool set pieces that felt like they were supposed to be more grand than they ended up being. Mm -hmm. With a lot of, like, uh, repetitive um, architecture. Where I got this, like... I forget exactly, but I picked up this newspaper clipping that talked about, like, these monuments off to the west. So I walked west, and then there was some, like, gray thing sticking out of the ground. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, is this... I don't know. Is this supposed to... Is this what it is? Some of it. But I really liked... Um, I, I discovered these fallen power lines. I don't, what do you call, like, the, the big metal structures that have the different... Like, six different lines running through them. Oh... Yeah. Oh, uh-huh, the Transformers? Yeah, uh, the, the, like yes. the, the collapsed Transformers, and that was really cool. Um, it did feel a little strange that I never really felt like I was in danger. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. Because I think I played the game entirely differently than you did. <laughs> Which, I think it's great. I think it's great that the game is mm -hmm. designed with the intention, because I've actually read some of the stuff that the developers have written. It's designed with the intention of accommodating entirely different goal sets among different players. You know, hmm. you can play such that you are really oriented towards figuring out what happened and finding all of the 
paper and maps and all of that. Or you can just, that, you know, that doesn't even have to have anything to do with anything if you don't want it to. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's great. I was really a huge fan of the fact that there was no explanation given for what was going on at all. Mm-hmm when I just plopped down into the middle of this forest. And though the survival isn't particularly difficult, you can make mistakes that screw you up severely. And so part of the way that I was playing was I was just like, what are the parameters of this? What will make me die? What will make me (laughs) sick? Can I walk straight up this mountain as far as I possibly can? Oh, it's snowing. Oh, that's interesting. I have an icon that, indicates that i may be very very cold and within (laughs) severe danger of dying of hypothermia right now um i definitely ate some of the berries after they had gone bad just to see like (laughs) (laughs) and so i was like really really immediately take like into exploring the parameters of just living in the world and Mm -hmm. so i spent a long time like tailing a bear just because i was like not sure like would it attack me how aggressive is it does it view me as a threat is it gonna try and eat me do i have any way like because i don't know if you ever found it but there's actually a bow in the game oh yeah yeah i did and so like just sort of like playing with how the world is was something I got really, really into. And I thought the story over the top of it was fabulous, but I didn't feel compelled to hunt it down actively. I was excited to find elements of it as I was exploring because it's in a narrative genre that I really enjoy, the sort of like post-apocalyptic whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was just, you know, pleased to happen upon it and was like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll wander off in that direction. What I really loved was the fact that it's not a typical game map where it shows you where you are. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, OK, I know exactly how to get from where I am to this next spot on the map. Right. I was li- never exactly sure where I was. <laughs> on that map or was like only partially certain and so i had the quite pleasant experience of getting lost slash running into things where it's like oh apparently i was much further south than i thought i was (laughs) because i've just happened on what is apparently this object on the map so that that whole thing was just sort of endlessly entertaining to me and i thought it was really pretty i took a lot of screenshots of like the night sky So, yeah, we, we, we definitely played the game very differently. At one point, I saw these really snowy mountains in the distance, and, and I, my first thought was, well, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> that, was, that was literally my first act in the game, Tim, was to, like, march up the mountains as high as it would let me go. <laughs> and so it, it took me a while to figure out that it wasn't a very serious survival game. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, going back to how expectations frame one's experience, it, it, it kind of seems like a very survival game up front. And then all of the mechanics around that are not particularly challenging. So my first experience was really like, oh, if I walk into the lake, I will get cold really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then if I walk all the way to the other side of the lake, I'll get really, really cold and I'll almost die. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get out of the lake and I'll warm up in two minutes mm-hmm. and everything's fine and there are no lasting repercussions. I was like, oh, well, okay. I mean, 
that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense because I was just in a freezing lake and I'm still wet. It's not like I'm just immediately dry, but apparently I am because I am no longer cold and dying. Well, I will tell you, Tim, that if you eat enough things that are poisonous to you <laughs> and or um, are bad, have gone bad, that you definitely can get yourself into a situation where it is actually difficult to recover because you become sick and the way that you have to try and heal yourself is by sitting at the fire and eating enough food to power through. And I did that cycle maybe like three times and then I made myself really sick <laughs> and oh, definitely like actually died <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't stay warm for long enough and have the food resources that I needed to counteract how sick I was and still take the time to rest in order to gather more resources to continue to get better. Mm -hmm. So it's the survival is not hard, but you can box yourself into a corner <laughs> if you go down that rabbit hole too far. Because I was like, what would happen? What would happen if I ate this thing that it says is bad? Will yeah. I get drunk? Will I? <laughs> Are the berries fermented? Um, well, yeah. So I had, again, totally different experience where I had collected hundreds of mushrooms and berries and after a couple of days they went bad and i was like oh uh it seems like a little you know seems like that would not very much time has passed for them to really go bad but they're bad now so i will remove them from my inventory because why would i want to eat things that are bad and i've still got hundreds of blackberries <laughs> do they have does like the bad ones have any ulterior or like secondary use or that's what i wanted to know i was like so does bad berries equal fermented berries? Yeah. Or because <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, it's rotten. Throwing it away. Because looking at it, it looks somewhere like I I've been playing Don't Starve, and so it's it not at like, all like Don't Starve. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of storyline there, but it's sort of the same somewhere survival aspect. But yeah, and I think in trying to accommodate anyone's playstyle, mm -hmm. they made it a little bit they made everything a little unnecessary so it's like i thought it was really cool that i had a compass and a map that i didn't that didn't necessarily tell me where i was but i never felt lost because i never needed to be anywhere i could just kind of keep walking in this one direction and yeah if you're if you were a really 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 goal-oriented person and were like i am going to head to this ridge and i really want to be there then I can see being frustrated and, or not even frustrated, but feeling like, where actually am I? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it depends a lot on what it was that you set out as your goals for the game. Because I think unlike a lot of games which have like a, your goal is to save the princess. I'm going to present this goal to you. You're going to know clearly what it is. And then you're going to use whatever method is, you know, you have mm. to get there. This game refuses to give you a goal. It doesn't give you points for finding the hidden things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you know, you don't get to interact with people who congratulate you for, you know, saving anyone. It's, it, you know, it, it is completely silent on the subject of what your goals are, mm -hmm. which I think can be great for some players and probably frustrating for others, <laughs> or at least creative of an experience that just seems unfocused and confusing. <laughs> Right. And yeah, I remember picking up the bow and my first thought was, why would I ever need to hunt? I've got 200 mushrooms. 
because oh it's a challenge. Gosh. Because Here, you here's want to know. Tim keeping his vegetarian <laughs> ways. Like, because I you want to see if you can bear. successfully do it. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, yeah, Jared. That that did play a part in my decision making. I was like, why would I want to kill any animals? That's just killing them. Yeah, Aubrey, can <laughs> you no shoot reason. the bear? Can you kill it? You can. It will try and attack you. Um. <laughs> And it may well succeed, depending on how far away you are from it when you start shooting it. And interestingly, I feel like hunting animals becomes a much more malicious activity when you absolutely do not, in any way, shape, or form, need to do that to stay alive ever. That's okay, true. Okay, what if we bring you into nutrition? Could you? Is there enough things in the game that you could say nutrition? Like, I have my grains, I have my proteins i have well the game doesn't and the, the game doesn't need that and in the first five minutes i found a hill that was covered with mushrooms and i actually just skipped past them because i had so many mushrooms already and i they think like, that was something that they wanted you to do i think they wanted uh, you to be like oh i don't actually have to this isn't a fetch quest this isn't a gathering resources game right. i can gather resources and i need to pay some level of attention to it but i don't need to collect every single item that i come across in the landscape right yeah and I, I feel like i'm speaking rather negatively of it i don't feel like my my experience was really all that negative i I think you're providing a a counter, <laughs> not even a negative perspective, just a a different experience of you know what it was like to play. Mm -hmm. It did feel like uh, a more interesting version of Proteus. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't play Proteus. Well, it's like it's like Idolin if you had only a little tiny island to explore, if the graphics were a little bit more um, sprite, and if there was no survival element. Uh, <laughs> which is to say Proteus is kind of like Proteus is basically just like a little place you can walk around for maybe five minutes before it gets a little dull mm -hmm. and you kind of wonder why you're walking around on an island mm -hmm. I also on, on as far as Eidolon is concerned really enjoyed sort of I don't know I don't know how I intuited this really it was before I had read anything but I was like this feels like the Pacific Northwest to me hmm. And I I really dug feeling like I was in a game that was set in a place that I love being and feel connected to in terms of my identity geographically. I do remember looking at the map for the first time and being like, where the hell would we be where Bellevue is like to the north mm -hmm. and Olympia is to the west? Like... <laughs> Why, why Olympia and Bellevue? Wouldn't it be... Why wouldn't they point out Seattle? <laughs> why wouldn't they? Yeah. It's uh, a bad place. <laughs> yeah, we don't go there anymore. And I remember trying to... <laughs> trying to make myself feel like it was the Pacific Northwest. This is going to sound really silly, perhaps. But uh, then looking at the trees and being like, if this was a Douglas fir, the trees would not be that flat. <laughs> <laughs> Which the only reason that's ridiculous is because the entire world is so uh, undetailed. <laughs> I, I, just, I just like to put like Tim like make him live in like Miami or something. This <laughs> don't look like a palm tree. <laughs> I really enjoyed going around and like collecting blackberries. I was like, ha, 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 I'm in the Pacific Northwest and I'm collecting blackberries. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. It was it was really geographically satisfying to me. 
I don't know. I, I, I think I can see why they did a lot of things the way they did, and I enjoy. I, I, oh, I appreciate what they were trying to do with it, mm-hmm. but it felt a little too disorganized. All right. And I enjoyed that very same sense of disorganization. <laughs> <laughs> so, opportunity costs, I suppose. <laughs> Some people aren't going to appreciate uh, design yeah. choices. That's, mm-hmm. that's fair. That is completely fair. Yeah, I basically spent the first time I played through it just enjoying the being lost, wandering around, and looking at the sky. I was like, this game is gorgeous! Yes! <laughs> I took a lot of screenshots of the sky <laughs> in a really low pixel game. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, is it really that beautiful of a game? It is. It is. At least in my opinion. I would say so. It's really okay. gorgeous. And it rains a lot and it's atmospheric. And so, yeah. Uh, it's great. I came across a fox who was only standing half on a hillside and then he stood on my head and didn't move for like a good 30 seconds. Until I started jumping into him, and then he disappeared. So that was a weird experience. That's pretty great. <laughs> and again, unintentional. Yeah. Probably, yeah, but emergent narrative is always... <laughs> I feel like we were friends. Lovely. Especially yeah. because there are so few friends in this game. <laughs> I'm glad you found someone, too. Yeah, all the other foxes ran away from me. So lonely. It's a very lonely world. In the game, not in real life. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Oh. <laughs> well, um, is there anything else that we have the burning desire to talk about this evening? Because we are running about, what, an hour and a half? I think we could put it in for next one. <laughs> I don't think any of it, unless any of your stuff is time sensitive. No, none of my stuff is time sensitive. I've wanted to talk about Capsule since the first one, and I'm going to walk a to- want to talk about Capsule until Okay. Well, here. So what, we can wait until the next time. We can start with Capsule. Sure. Next time. I'm, this is like we got to play it. We've all got to play it now. Is what the whole Capsule theme? Yes, it's so great and it's really inexpensive. Okay. My brother and I both played it, and he would like call me on my lunch break at work to update me about the things <laughs> that he had discovered. <laughs> It was well, with, it was fabulous. With that tantalizing teaser. <laughs> yeah, so the audience is really going to want to come back for the next episode so we, we they can hear us talk about Capsule. They're, and they're on... Daredevil. Guess what oh, the eyes going to say? We're Daredevil. also going to make sure we get Daredevil in. <laughs> they're on the edge of their seats. We're they're, building narrative. Um, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for joining us this evening. Uh, we hope you had a lovely time listening to us talk about random nonsense. We hope that you will join us again next time on whatever this is. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I feel like this is like an NPR ending. <laughs> 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 or like PBS. <laughs>